another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. There are so many different cultures in this room. Can I hear a shout of just different nationalities of people in this room? Where are you from? I just want to hear. Malta, America. There was that one. Tasmania. Did someone just say Tasmania? Gosh, it pretty much is a place of its own. But in this room, we represent so many different places. And, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. And you know what? In your life, or maybe even tonight, you've had the thought that, or the question, like, why do we have so many different cultures? How did cultures start? Where do languages come from? Where, where did, you know, like, God didn't God create us? How come we've got all these languages? And tonight, we're just going to go on a very quick journey, and I'm going to teach you a little bit about biblically how we got languages, how we got different cultures. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how the, the love of Christ comes to get rid of all that, not get rid of it, but then unite us inside that. So uh, the cool thing that I reckon is that the Bible actually has a lot of answers for what we question. And, and I would like to say right from the outset that whether you have had much time with the Bible or not, that you should treat the Bible as such an honor to be able to have this in our hand. The Bible is truth. The Bible is actually something that we should honor and that we should read with honor. And, and a lot of the time in our life, we actually look at the Bible and interpret it based on what humans say. And this is, this is something I want you to get right from the outset, because if you don't get this, then you won't get the rest of the message. That we actually have to interpret the Bible first and then fit our life around it. We can't take what man says and go, oh, but how does what the Bible say fit into what the scientists say? Or how does, how does, we actually have to take the Bible as our foundation first and then build our life upon that and take our science from that. And faith is not at odds with science at all, is it, Danny? Not at all. So we're going to read a scripture, Genesis 11. If you've got a Bible, turn, turn there and we're going to pray. Lord, we thank you so much for tonight, God, that you are here with us that uh, we've had so much fun, but God, we just know that you've got a word for every person in this room, Lord. We pray for the storm right now, God, that our brother Nelson can't be in church with us right now, but he can be on that field and win that game. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. So we're going to turn into Genesis 11, uh, verse 1 to 8. And this is all about the story of Babel, or may, some may say Babel, Babel, not sure what, really what it is interpreted like, but the story of Babel, right? Genesis 1, uh, 11 verse 1 to 4, read, read it. So this is Noah. Everyone heard of the, the flood of Noah? So this is uh, a little bit after the flood of Noah, and God had given a commandment to Noah and his family to go fill the earth, to populate it, yeah, to go out and fill the earth. Not to stay in one place, but to actually go out and populate So this is what it says. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain near Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us bind ourse build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth, which is what God wanted, remember. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From, the Lord, uh, from there, the Lord scattered them across the face of the earth. 
That's where we get languages from. That's where we get cultures, right there in the Bible. You know, these people had decided to rebel against the commandment that God had given them. God had said, go and fill the earth. Go and populate the earth. Go into many corners of the earth and fill it. And they decided they wanted to stay together and build something for themselves, make a name for themselves. Now, does that sound familiar like anyone else that you've already heard about in the Bible? Maybe Adam and Eve. God gave a commandment to them and they thought that they knew better. And it's exactly the same with Noah's family. They thought they knew better and they wanted to make themselves. They wanted to have pride in who they were, not in who God was. And the thing is, they came together in unity for the wrong cause. For the wrong cause, Noah's family came together in unity. And you can see that it is an astonishing example of the power of unity. The power of what it is when you can speak one language together. Come on, even God himself said that as, if as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So think about that in today's age. If we were to be one people speaking one language, maybe not physically speaking one language, but spiritually speaking one language, with unity like is explained in this moment, which is for the wrong cause, can you imagine if we had unity for the right cause, what we could do? Could you imagine what the church of Jesus could do if we had unity for the right cause? You know, I remember I, I used to play hockey a lot when I was at school and representative level. And I, I knew as part of a team, one of the key things that we would work on is that we were all on the same page. Anyone else play sport and a team? Right? You can always tell, even when you're watching or you're part of a team, when there's that one guy who thinks he's the best or one girl who thinks they're the best, and they don't have to listen to what the coach says. They don't have to listen to what the rest of the team says. They go do their own thing. What happens? The team falls apart, right? You can have a team of champions, or you can have a champion team, right? And I learned the power of unity just in the simple aspect of a sports game. And I'd like to, to relate that back to the church again, is that the enemy, his key is to try and divide us as a church. Who knows there's a lot of, uh, lot of, you know, I don't know what you would call it, back and forth between different churches about what you should believe and how you should do this and that, you know, this is right and that's wrong. And there's disunity within our church. Now, there is a great unity rising up in our church, I, I must say. But the enemy tries to divide. The enemy tries to divide the family unit. The enemy tries to keep you away from having close family relationships. The enemy tries to divide where he can because he knows... Right, he actually got this trick from God, right? God divided them at the Tower of Babel to stop how powerful they were unifying for the wrong courts. Now, the devil ain't smart. He just got this from God. And he's trying to divide us as the church. He's trying to divide us as families to try and weaken the impact that we can have for the right courts. If we truly embrace unity, there would be nothing impossible for us. But can I let you in on a little secret? While we are all human, while we all live in a sinful world, you will not sit in a room where you love everyone in every way, that you get on with everyone perfectly, that you unite in, in worldly ways perfectly. You will never get that. We will always come up against people that we don't get on with for whatever reason. But that's the beauty of Jesus. That we gather here today under the love of Jesus, under the, the love that He came and showed for us on the cross, and that's what unites us. You know, I love, I've been doing youth ministry now for, I've uh, been going for 13 years, and I've been leading in youth ministry for 10 years, and one thing I absolutely love is when I'm at a shopping mall, I'm at the beach, and I can pick a youth ministry from a mile off. Yeah, right? Why is that? 
Because I see cultures together that shouldn't normally hang out together. I see people loving on each other that shouldn't normally love on each other. And that's the power of Jesus' name, that there's unity when we come under His name. God's love unites us. So we think about the Tower of Babel and we think about uh, how he divided and brought cultures and brought languages in that point. And we fast forward 2,000 years or so and we think about the name of Jesus. Jesus came to unite believers again under one name, under one language, not necessarily an earthly language or an earthly culture, under the culture of heaven. It says in Galatians 3 verse 28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So what is God saying in this moment? He's saying it's not about our gender. It's not about our color. It's not about our ability. It's not about us. It's about his love. His love. Come on, if you take one thing away from this message today, it's no longer... No longer is it a culture, a dance, a language, a skin color that unites us. It's love. Christ's love for us unites us together. You know, Jesus isn't coming back just for the Africans. Jesus isn't just coming back for the Chinese. Come on, Jesus isn't just coming back for the Italians. Jesus isn't just coming back for the South Africans. Sorry, Nick. Jesus isn't just coming back for the Spanish. And Jesus isn't just coming back for the Samoans. It says in Romans that we all fall short of the glory of God. doesn't matter what culture we are. doesn't matter where we're from. That we all fall under this one banner, and that's called the human race. You know, we get told there's many races in life, but there is one race the human race, and, it, and we all come from Adam and Eve. Why do we all struggle with sin? Why do we all have this innate feeling for relationship? It's because we all come one race. Love is what unifies us. Love overcomes. Love conquers. Love believes. Love encourages. Love wins. But ultimately, love unites. Our reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 13. I will read in Swahili. Hata kama nikinena luga za watu na hata za malaika, lakini kama sina upendo, mimi nimekuwa tu kama sauti ya debe au kengele. Tena naweza kuwa na kipaji cha kutangaza ujumbe kwa mungu. Nikifahamu siri zote na kujua kila kitu. Naweza kuwa na imani yote, hata nikaweza kuihamisha milima. Non si comporta in modo sconveniente, non cerca il proprio interesse, non si nasprisce, non addebita al male, non gode dell'ingiustizia, ma gioisce con la verità. Dit bedek alles, glo alles, hoop alles, verdra alles. Die liefde vergaan immer meer, maar profeseer, hulle sal tot niet gaan, of tale, hulle sal ophou, of kennis, dit sal tot niet gaan. Porque en parte conocemos y en parte profetizamos, mas cuando venga lo perfecto, entonces lo que es en parte se acabará. 
Ona po no ititie no totalai fatamititi mamana tunatu fatamititi mafili fili fatamititi owo oina otanga tamatua ona otia ilia omia tamatiti olene wo oiloa totua aulia oina oiloa totua e peon sila fiato totua ilia tua and now these three remain faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love awesome why don't we give these guys a great hand thank you guys so great and i love that the theme of tonight exactly what uh, pastor will just shared is that under underneath everything regardless of where we come from who we are what we look like God's love is what unites us. It is God that underscores us all as a humankind. And I think that this is a love, the love that speaks to the heart of every single person. This is a love that's worth celebrating. And I'm just warning, I'm going to say love about 50,000 times in my message tonight. But I love celebrating love. Does anyone else love celebrating love? That is why The Notebook is still the best movie of all time. If you haven't seen it, it's on Channel 10 tonight at 8.30, I suggest. Go home and watch it. But it's because we love celebrating love. We love to celebrate love. And um, I have been married to my amazing husband, Daniel, now for three years. Three or three is in February, I should say. It's gone very fast. Time flies when you are having fun. But it wasn't that long ago, so I can remember the day quite clearly. And I know there are lots of cultures in the room tonight, but if you don't know, my heritage is actually Italian. Uh, it's not Bulgarian, as people once thought. Uh, I'm Italian. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but with Italians, it's sort of like, nothing wrong with Bulgarians, nothing wrong with that. But with Italians, when you get married, it's sort of like you've got to go big or you've got to go home or else just don't bother. you just got to go all out. There's nothing like, oh, we're just going to have a backyard wedding or, oh, we're just going to have a cocktail wedding, maybe some finger foods, maybe bring your own sparkling water. It's like find the biggest venue. We're going to pick the food package number three. It's got 10 courses. You've got two entrees with canapes. Then you've got two main salads, duck fat potatoes. Yes, we had those. Then you've got two types of desserts. And because then you still haven't eaten enough, you've got to have the supper, which is with the five different cheeses, the quince jam and the crackers. Are there any Italians out there that know what I'm talking about tonight? Please give me a wave. One, two. Oh, I'm, I'm alone in this place. But do you know what the funny thing is, is my wedding, as, as amazing as it was, and you know, you get to the part of the celebration and everyone's ecstatic. It's so joyful. Everyone's so happy and celebrating the union really of love and celebrating love is our, my wedding, our wedding was actually, it wasn't even like the most spectacular that you could go. Like you can go so much more all out. And um, I know, I don't know if we've got any Sri Lankans or Indians in here tonight, but I heard that their wedding goes for like seven days and you have like three different ceremonies, but it gets like extravagant. And I think we can agree that on the earth, weddings are really the most extravagant party that you can have. But having said all that, what I find very interesting is regardless of how extravagant a wedding can be, there is a party that's going on in heaven pretty much all the time that surpasses even the most lavish and extravagant of weddings to the hundredth degree. And that's a party, little party I like to call the party of salvation. And now that's what happens when just one person who we'll call the lost, lost child, one of God's lost children, turns back and comes home to him. The Bible says that this is the greatest party on the earth, that all of heaven rejoices when one just turns back and comes home to their father, their creator. 
Did you know in Bible, uh, sorry, in, in Luke 15, as I said, there is rejoicing among the angels of God when one sinner who repents, who comes home. And in that uh, story in, chapter, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus tells three separate stories, sorry, to illustrate this. He tells three different stories where an owner or a person loses three different things. And in each story, the person or the owner longs for that which is lost. It's highly sought over. It's highly valued. And they do everything they can to get that which is lost back home, to find their prized possession. Their heart's breaking for it. And when they do repossess the thing that they lost, they rejoice. They're ecstatic. They don't condemn the thing that got lost and say, oh, it's your fault that you got lost. Oh, I'll just cast you to the side. But that which has been lost is welcomed home. It is adored. And in this story, Jesus likens these images to what happens when one of his kids comes back into the kingdom. It's the same thing when one of us comes back into relationship with our father. Our father is ecstatic. He is pumped. All of heaven is rejoicing because the lost thing or the lost, a lost human soul, there is nothing more important to God than that soul coming home to him. And I think what is so amazing is that this kind of love that we've been talking about tonight, it's not just all talk, but there was actually a very powerful demonstration and action by God of this love. And we find it seen at the cross of Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God. When he died, that brutal death, when he was crucified, as we know, he died and was raised again on the third day. What he did for all of us who would believe in him was forgive our sins, release us from our life of bondage and oppression and unite us to God our Father in a perfect, loving, unhindered relationship with him. And I think that there is no greater love than that on the earth, a love where one would lay their life down for their friends. And you know, if this is news to you tonight, if you've got no idea what we're talking about, if you don't know who Jesus or what, you don't even believe in God whatsoever, I've got very good news for you. I'm very happy to tell you that you are so loved by Him tonight, that He's actually made another way to live regardless of your culture, your upbringing, who you are, where you're from. He's come to set you free and on a new life, a new path of uh, life-fulfilling relationship with your Father. And he's not looking for religion, as we've said earlier. He's not looking for people who are just going to tick the box and try and be good people and just keep it all together all the time. He just wants you just as you are. Just come as you are and receive his free gift of salvation tonight. And I think that that is a love that is definitely worth celebrating. And I love in First Peter 3, chapter 9, it says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy gave us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by the power of God are safeguarded through faith to a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the final time. Although you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, yet believe in him, you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy as you attain the goal of your faith, the salvation of our souls. I love that so much. And tonight I want to think, look at just three really quick things that happen when I believe we keep our eyes on the cross of Jesus, when we keep our eyes on this magnificent, um, you know, outrageous love that He has for us. And I think the first thing is, is that we live with wonder. Because our perspective is one of awe of what God's done for us. We, the strength that we have to walk forward comes from looking back and trusting His faithfulness and saying, I know you saved me there, so I know you're going to get me through the next few steps. 
And we don't get familiar because we remain fresh in that place of forgiveness that we have in Him. We don't, I don't ever get tired of knowing that I'm forgiven from the mess where I was and where I could be now. I'm so thankful that I, God has forgiven me. I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. Praise God. <laughs> the second thing is that we are guarded by gratitude. Because I think it's important to remember that it's by grace that we have been saved. I sort of mentioned it before, but I didn't do anything to be approved by God. I didn't do anything to earn His approval or earn His love. Literally picks us all up in the middle of our mess and says, here you are, come back home, come back into my arms. And His grace is a free gift. If you've never heard that word before, basically what it is, is undeserved favour. It is His divine mercy. Not anything we've done or anything else we can do, but He is with us. And the third thing is that we have a steadfast strength. Because who knows that salvation isn't just situational, it's not just for one moment, but it's for our whole, for every single moment. And with our salvation, we get an everlasting joy. And we know from the Bible that the joy, that joy is our strength. That's what keeps us going. So it doesn't matter what circumstance we find ourselves in or no matter what our life looks like, we can hold on to that joy of our salvation and that will get us through every trial, every circumstance. And I wanted to encourage us tonight, when was the last time we rejoiced with an indescribable and glorious joy over the fact that we've been saved? I'm asking myself this question tonight. I think it's a good question to ask. Because when we lose sight of all God has done, we're easily taken out and before we know it, life just seems average and we're just like, whatever, we're just living for less and settling for so much less than what God has for us. It says in Isaiah 12, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song and He has become my salvation. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.